This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 279, and I'm talking with Tristan Woodfine. Tristan is a Canadian athlete who just got the Olympic standard at the London Marathon in a time of 2.10.51. Their standard is 2.11.30, so he had a little bit of time to spare there. Tristan has an interesting story leading up to his marathoning. He is actually a former triathlete. So we get to hear about that journey in this podcast, as well as the London Marathon breakdown, you know, training for that, what the race looked like, and what he has his sights set on next. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Prevenex. If you are looking for a clean multivitamin or supplement or protein powder or kids vitamin, this is where you need to look. I trust their products so much. I use them every day. I put them into my body as well as my kids. Uh, we use their protein powder, their Nurify Plus, every single day. I make smoothies for my kids, throw in all the good stuff, frozen fruit, spinach, plus all of the vitamins and minerals that you're getting out of that protein powder. It's amazing. This is the best snack slash mini meal that I can give my kids every single day because I know they're getting so many great nutritious ingredients in that smoothie. Um, I also actually, it tastes really good too. I actually just shake it up with some water and take it in between workouts or when I'm on the go on my way to the next thing that I'm doing. And I feel really good about that and it actually really fills me up. So you all can check out Prevenex when you go to Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER and you'll get 15% off your order. If you are enjoying this show, if you're enjoying these bonus podcast episodes, one of the simplest ways you can support this podcast, it's free, it's easy, it's simple, is if you leave us a rating and review. It helps new listeners find us. And also just make sure you're subscribed. It's that simple. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed because that, I don't know, that makes iTunes like us more, I guess, in their algorithm, whatever that means. I don't even know what it means, but I hear it's a good thing. So yeah, thank you for being here and enjoy my conversation with Tristan Woodfine. Today on the podcast, I am bringing another London Marathon recap, but also get to know you story here on All Have Another. So welcome to the show, Tristan. Thanks for having me. How are you feeling coming off of London? Um, starting to feel better. It was pretty, pretty rough for the first couple of days, but yeah, no. Ever since getting home, it's been nice, been able to relax, you know, kind of forced forced rest on quarantine here. So, yeah, starting to feel better now. Yeah, true, true. Are you, Have you run yet? <laughs> no, i taking at least 10 days off, anywhere between 10 and 14 days. We'll see, see how I feel. Yeah, do, is that what you normally do after a marathon? Yeah, depending on the racing schedule and what we have to get done. Um but this time around, since I got Olympic standard now, uh, I would definitely take a full 10 days, two weeks, you know, no point in rushing anything and then come back nice and slow. 
Yeah. Okay, so before we get into kind of your breakdown of the race and the recap, I am super intrigued by your history with running and the fact that you were really all in with triathlon before uh, going all in with marathoning. So can you share with us your history in that? Yeah, I started sort of competitive triathlon when I was 13 or 14. Um, yeah, being in high school and then also competing in track and cross country, but triathlon was the focus. Um, and then in university in 2012, um, just before the season started, the day before my first race, I ended up fracturing my elbow in a like little bit of a bike crash. Um, and then a few months later, there was still a fair bit of pain. Um, so then I went and saw a surgeon. He said he could go in there and fix some things, um, but that wasn't booked for another eight or nine months. Um, so I decided just to focus on a university cross-country season. Uh, that was 2013. Um, and then in that like eight or nine months, I kind of realized I didn't really miss swimming and I didn't really mm -hmm. miss biking that much. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was kind of like a lot of triathlon was just like getting to the run where I was, that was my strongest event. So I kind of was like, do I really want to continue doing something where two thirds of it I'm not enjoying that much? I'm only doing it to race well. Um, so then, yeah, then I, then I decided just to focus on running because I really just loved running. You know, like instead of getting up at 5 a.m. and jumping in a cold pool, I can go out in the trails and you know, enjoy the morning so much more. So yeah, then after that, it was just focusing on running. Do you swim or bike at all anymore? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not even for like a flush out my legs kind of day on the bike? No, I, if I want to flush out the legs without running, it'll just be a walk. Oh gosh. Okay. So do you miss anything about swimming or biking? Uh, no, like honestly, <laughs> I still don't to this day. Um, oh my gosh. Like, I don't know. I, I think sometimes, like, I know it's been kind of, like, the cool thing now has been getting into, like, gravel riding. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, I could see myself enjoying that maybe, you know, because, I mean, we live on some of these gravel roads. And, like, I often don't run into a, even a single car while out for, you know, a 20K run. So I could see myself enjoying that, you know, being on the bike and not having cars or traffic to worry about and just being on the gravel road. So like maybe in the future that might be something, but road riding, I definitely know. <laughs> you know, I always, I, I did a half Ironman uh, like five, six years ago. Um, and my husband did a full one eight years ago. And I say now, like, I think the main reason I don't want to do that is honestly, because road riding is so dangerous. Yo, yeah, it definitely is. Like that's one of the, I think that's the big thing for me is like, I, you know, I've known a few people who have been hit, you yeah. know, and like seriously injured, um, you know, and like you can be riding perfectly safe, mm -hmm. you know, and people, I think a lot of it nowadays is cell phones, texting, totally. people are distracted driving, you know, and you just, you can't, you have no control over that. And I think that's the really scary part about cycling, you know, whereas at least running, you can, you can run on the gravel shoulder no problem like it's not a big deal um 
But yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And with running on the roads, you're like, I mean, obviously there are fatalities and that can be dangerous too, but you're running towards traffic instead of, you know, with the traffic. So I feel like you can be a little bit more on guard in general. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. You're running towards traffic and you can, I find you can hear more. Like if you're cycling fast, the wind and stuff, you can often, often not hear a car coming up behind you, whereas running, you're not going as fast. So I feel like you're definitely have more awareness of what's happening. Yeah. You know, behind you where you can't see. For sure. Okay. Well, let's talk about your marathon and your progression. You know, uh, Tristan just ran London and 21051, which gives him the Olympic standard in Canada. But uh, let's walk back to April 2018. You ran your second marathon in 218. So that was a nine minute PR from the first one? Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> First one in Rotterdam was definitely not a good indication of my running fitness. Sure. I had gotten injured six or seven weeks out with a bit of a hamstring thing. So basically it was like I could kind of do a workout and then take two or three days of just cross training and then kind of do a workout and sort of that pattern until the race. Mm. And that just doesn't work for the marathon. Like you can't cross train your way to marathon fitness. I, <laughs> I learned that the hard way that time. Like it, if you're not able to get the mileage in, it's just not worth running because um, the wheels just fell off. I think it was even like at 15K, like they already started going Ooh. down. It was a death march after That's that. That's brutal. So, yeah, I learned a hard lesson that day. But um, yeah, so in a way it wasn't quite indicative. But sure. yeah, Ottawa was definitely a very good step forward anyways to have a successful you know, getting one done successfully. Yeah. You know, so that two eighteen fifty five, 55, um, I feel like people could roll their eyes at me saying this, but I always feel like those, t- those sort of times put you in like no man's land a little bit. Like you are really good and really fast, but it's when you get to that two twelve, you know, two twelve, two eleven, two ten, that you are, you know, in contingent to place at major marathons and things like that. So when you ran the 218, what were your feelings on, okay, where do I go from here to kind of work my way out of this, this, you know, no man's land and get to where I want to be? Yeah, it was interesting. When I ran my 218, I was, so I was, I had started a paramedic program in the following year, the year before. Um, and we had, a year of classes and then about a month before the Ottawa marathon there I started you have to do three months of um, clinical placement which is basically you join a crew and you follow their schedule their full-time schedule for three months and learn the ins and outs like of actual you know what it's like on the road um so technically that race was like a month into doing full-time shift work oh wow um so that was interesting because it was like, I was pretty exhausted going into that race. Like, yeah, like full-time shift work and like run training just really don't mix well. Um, so after that race, it kind of, yeah, it got me thinking more about kind of getting back into it more seriously. Like I had kind of running had kind of taken a back burner mm. that past year like I spent a couple years, like 2015, 16, and 17, like not running didn't really, it wasn't going well, you know, and it was hard to justify still doing it. Um, so that's why I started this mar- or the paramedic program. So I was trying to, you know, find a career or something to do um, long term. Um, 
but then, yeah, that race kind of re-sparked that fire for running again. And I thought, well, if, you know, I was able to do that off mm-hmm. like training that wasn't really optimal. Um, like what could I do if I, you know, kind of went back to putting everything I had into it. So yeah, I guess I ran that and then I had a couple more months of that full-time shift work. And then after that, I kind of was like, all right, I'm going to sort of delay the paramedic career and let's just go all in on this and find every thing we can possibly do to make myself better and try and qualify for the Olympics in 2020. Yeah, that's such a hard place to be in, though, when you decide to go all in as an unsponsored athlete, I'm sure, because you're thinking, okay, I still have to pay my bills. I want to work really hard at this and do everything I can, but you have to make money at the same time. So was that part of the dilemma, and how did you decide to move forward? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Like it, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think some people really kind of were a little shocked that I was going to just kind of put it all aside for like running when, you know, like 218 is like, it is fast, you know, yeah. as in a general way it's fast, but in a way it is nowhere near the kind of level you need to be to qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. So I think some people definitely thought I was crazy, but yeah, it was kind of like, let's just, I don't know. Yeah. Just do it. Like I think my fiance is, was super supportive and you know, my parents were supportive too, you know? So I had people around me who still, they did believe I could do it, which really helped. Um, so it was kind of just like, let's just figure it out any way we can. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was definitely, it's tough, you know, you don't make a lot of money from running, but you know, there is prize money and stuff like that can help keep you afloat. Um, and luckily where we live here and kind of the middle of nowhere, like cost of living is, Mm. is fairly low compared to living in big cities, you know, where your rent is like 2000 a month. So that, definitely made it a lot easier um in that way well by the way your internet's doing really good for being out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> yeah yeah, no, it's, good. it's yeah sunny out here so that helps yeah I whenever we drive out to the country I'm always like it's so dreamy like it would be because we live in the city I'm like it would be so nice to live out there but here's my question about that how close is your closest grocery store uh right now we are 25 30 minutes okay to a grocery store. so that's not too bad no, it's not not horrible. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying about that. But you don't know what you don't know. Like, you don't you don't know what can happen unless you try. So that's so exciting that you did because uh, for the listeners, Tristan then goes to run a 215 in Houston in 2019, 2000, or 213 in Toronto last year in October, and now you just ran that 210. That's quite the year and a half that you've had. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I was kind of reflecting on that this week a bit, just how far I've come, I guess, in the last yeah year and a half. Like I was just thinking, like as of May May 2019, my half marathon PB was slower than the pace I ended up running twice in a row in London. Wow. It was kind of like anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to look back and sort of be able to yeah see how quickly that progression happened is that still you're technically you're still half marathon pb no i i ran 63 30 okay. something houston uh, this year yeah 2020 okay you you got to run houston before everything stopped then huh 
Yeah, I got one. Yeah, one race in before yeah everything shut down. That's always such a fun, fast uh, race to pay attention to because there's always so many uh, really fast pros there. What? How did you do in that race? Obviously, sixty three. That's a huge PR. But did you, um, like, did you have a really great race? Yeah, I felt like it was a good race. I mean, we didn't. We were targeting like the April edition of London, the London Marathon, to try and hit standard there. So we weren't you know, peaking forward or anything. So I came in more or less just training through. So I was happy to, I think I took like 75 minutes off my PB there. So I was happy, but yeah, it's definitely crazy fast. I couldn't believe like how many guys too are between like that front group at like 60 flat and Mm. between like 64. It's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. What did that place you? I don't even know. Not anywhere close to the front. <laughs> <laughs> with you, but you were packed in with a ton of guys. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, we had a quite a large group. I don't know how many. Like I would think at least twenty. So then you were going to run London, and so did you train in Kenya? And when did you go? And when did you get back? Were you in Kenya during COVID? Uh, yeah, we I we left for Kenya. The day after Houston, flew from Houston over. Okay. Um, we were there for, I think, seven, seven and a half weeks. Um, and then kind of like a lot of people, like COVID just all of a sudden happened. Yeah. Like we kind of like vaguely heard about it, but not really. Like also in Kenya, like you're not really, you're in a bit of a bubble. You don't really know what's going on. And then it wasn't until like, yeah, some point mid-March, like I think, yeah, all of a sudden it was like things started shutting down Yeah, and it was like, holy crap. Like, I think we should probably go home. Like we still had like 10 days left in the trip, but it was like, I like, it really seems like things are going downhill fast. Like we should get home. So we like booked a flight out immediately, got home. And then I think like two days later, like the, where we were staying in Kenya, that they shut down. Wow. And then like, it seemed like the whole world all of a sudden was, in lockdown. So we got out. Yeah. Just in time. Yeah. Do you think that you would have like been stranded there for a couple months? I don't, I don't know what travel was like coming to and from once things shut down. Yeah. I heard a rumor that someone at the place we were staying at didn't get out in time and was stuck there for many months. I'm not sure of the validity of that, but yeah, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me though. Like, like they stopped flying and stuff. So yeah, I can't imagine that would have been, yeah, pretty terrible. <laughs> so you came back mid-March then? Yeah. Okay, I have a question. We're, obviously, you get on an airplane now. Everybody's wearing a mask, or at least they should be. Was everybody yeah. already in that frame of mind? Because I remember flying at the very end of February, and there was like, you know, one in 30 people maybe, not even, had masks on at the airport. And I thought, what are they doing? They're, you know, over the top here. Um, but was were people already all masked up? No, it was like kind of the same thing. Like just a few people were wearing the mask um, and gloves and stuff. But at that point, like it wasn't, no one really knew what the protocol was or what would help or what would not. So, I mean, yeah, there was a couple, we didn't, we just were sort of like, all right, like, yeah, get home and, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, we both ended up healthy when we got home. So yeah, that's good. um, But yeah, then flying to London was a completely different experience. Like, Oh gosh. You're not allowed to take your mask off at any point, like in the airport or on the plane or whatever, unless you're eating obviously. But, um, yeah. And everyone's 
masks and hand sanitizer all the time. And also the airports are empty, which was the weirdest thing. But yeah, very different in those like six months. Yeah, it's wild because now you look back and you're like, can't even imagine going to the airport without a mask on or the grocery store for that matter. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's true. Yeah, even just yeah, going to the grocery store now, you have to wear a mask. So um, which I think is good, though. I think some of these things are really hopefully going to help keep it under control. For sure. For sure. Um, okay. So you get back. So, so then did you, since obviously London was delayed and so exciting that you guys got to run it, um, this fall, but did you, what did you do training wise once you knew you weren't going to be running? Yeah, we, so we got back mid March. Uh, my coach said, let's just take a week, just short, easy runs. Like you're pretty jet lagged. We're really not sure what's happening. So just short, easy runs. Like, let's just kind of see what happens. Um, and by the end of that week, the Olympics had been postponed mm. and it was pretty clear there was going to be no racing for quite some time. Um, but we kind of decided like we kind of had a pretty big time and financial investment to go to Kenya for that length of time. Mm-hmm. So we decided to kind of keep the momentum going and keep training hard, kind of focus on like a more sustainable approach. So, you know, lots of volume, lots of aerobic work with little touch of speed. Um, we also took the turn the GPS function off on the watch, did everything by time and effort, um, but trained really hard in hopes that, you know, at some point we would be able to put a race on the calendar and then kind of take that giant base and that general fitness and then turn it something, turn it into a more specific fitness for whatever race we could uh, eventually end up doing. So when did you find out that you were in for London? Uh, beginning of July, they had reached out and said they were pretty confident they were going to be able to at least put on an elite only race mm. on October 4th. Um, so yeah, beginning of July. So I got a full, my usual full 12 week buildup, which was nice. So did you, and I want to talk about, you know, what you've changed as far as your cadence and, and just everything about your training. Cause I know that you paid very close attention to all the little details to make sure that you were making every improvement you possibly can could, but, um, was 210, was that around the range you were shooting for? Yeah, I would say we were shooting for a bit quicker. Um, like it's really, when you're kind of in new territories, fitness wise, it's so hard to Mm -hmm. say what kind of shape you're in, especially because my coach was my old triathlon coach from high school. So he's also like really new to the marathon. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he can look at my workouts and like know for sure I'm in this shape based on like past experience. So like both of us kind of just take a bit of a guess at based on the workouts. Um, But I, I was definitely confident that I could run standard even in crappy conditions. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, like I felt the fitness was like high enough that even if it was pouring rain and windy and crappy, we could still get the job done. Um, which I think was a great mindset to have because then sure enough, it ended up being crappy. Um, so I think that mindset was tough. Is the standard uh, for Canada, is it sub 211? Is that what it is? Yeah, sub 211.30. Oh, 21130. Okay. Okay. So I'm so interested that you are working with your old triathlon coach from high school because, um, 
you know, it's, you're putting a lot of faith in someone, like you said, who, who doesn't have a lot of experience with the marathon and you're talking about training at such a high level that you're trying to qualify for the Olympics. So, um, why did you decide to go back to him and kind of what does that relationship look like? Yeah. So we had kept in touch through university, like here and there. Yeah. In 2017 there, I was kind of realizing like my situation currently wasn't working. Like I was getting slower Mm. each year and that kind of just obviously isn't going to get you anywhere. So I decided I needed a change and I felt like in the, my situation before it was like, it was a big, it was a club, you know, big group. And it was like, it was just a one size fits all program. It was like, this is the program. Everyone's doing the same thing. And there was no individuality. So like, it was a bit of a risk, but I kind of like, I knew he was a really good coach in a very general sense in that he really looked at the individual as opposed to just like, you know, here's a standard program. Mm -hmm. And I especially knew because he had never coached like an elite marathoner that he would have no like preconceived notions of what worked. Like he would literally, we would just try stuff. We would see how I responded and then we would change based on that. So really that was kind of why I chose him. I was like, you know what? I think together we'll be able to develop our own personal marathon training philosophy that was just for me like you know what I mean it was there's no other no compromises anywhere it's like let's just develop our own program that is 100% suited for me you know he was down for that and he you know we kind of it's like a 50-50 relationship really I have my ideas he has his ideas you know we kind of couple them together try them out see if they work if they don't kind of discard them if they do we keep them and we're you know constantly tinkering with that formula and yeah so far it was you know it might have been a risk but so far it's paid off okay so can you give us a little bit of insight and as to what that specific to you training looks like yeah I, I mean it's yeah it's no like big secret or anything like I don't really think there's like big mm-hmm. secrets in training it's just getting a lot of work done <laughs> a lot of hard work, a lot of volume um but yeah I mean we found like uh fast long runs are mm. crucial for marathon success uh-huh. so I know there's a lot of programs that have sort of easy sort of maybe steady-ish long runs but uh-huh. we've kind of found those are sort of crap and don't really work uh-huh. that well and now we need to keep the intensity pretty high on long runs to really like get that stimulus that you need to run a really high level marathon um, and then we, I mean, we have lots of the classic threshold marathon pace stuff. And, um, we also really like to include a lot of stuff, a lot of speed work, like stuff way, way under race pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the big changes we made for London was, yeah, a lot more work way under race pace, which kind of helped make the marathon stuff feel a little easier and more relaxed, I guess, kind of improving that running economy. So you were doing a lot more intervals than you would have done in the past? Like short intervals? Yeah, more, yeah, stuff like 10K to 3K kind of pace stuff. Okay. Um, when you say 10K to 3K pace, like what what kind of sets are you doing? Like are you doing that at a, like a mile at a time or what? Uh, it depends. Like if we're doing 10K pace, it would probably be 800s okay. towards a mile okay. intervals. And if we're doing down towards you know, 3k kind of stuff, it'd be more like 
two hundreds to maybe a max of I think we the longest interval we did for that was like K's. Wow, that's interesting. Two hundred repeats. I don't think you see very many marathoners doing that. No, yeah. I mean it's I think speed work is a bit overlooked mm. in marathon training, but I think it's so important because like developing running economy I think is most effective at those really fast paces. Yeah. Um, and it just helps me. I mean, like, I don't know if you watched the, that NN documentary on uh, speed work that they put out this summer, but like, I think they sum it up there really well. Like they don't really use science. A lot of those athletes aren't using any kind of science. They're just like, it helps make the long runs and the marathon stuff feel way easier. Oh, for sure. And I think that's just the easiest way to sum it up. You know, you can, if you run way faster then the slower stuff just feels more relaxed. What now? What's this documentary? I don't know it. Know about it? Um, the NN running team. They um, it was on YouTube on their YouTube channel. Okay. What's the NN running team? Should I know that? Uh, so uh, team um, Kipchoge is part of. Oh, okay. I just did, I guess I didn't know that that's what the team was called. Obviously, I know Kipchoge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a. Uh, I know. Yeah, it's an interesting watch. I definitely recommend it. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Everybody, write that down. Go watch that. Um. Okay. So when you say you're doing faster long runs. A couple questions on that. How often are you doing your long runs? Like, do you have a seven day or 10 day cycle or anything like that? And then, um, when you say fast, are you doing like 22 miles and 15 of those fast? And when you say fast, do you mean marathon pace fast? Give us the details. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. A specific fast long run once every, I want to say 10 days to 14 days. Okay. We don't really work on a specific cycle. Um, we kind of do workouts, and then it's usually about two days in between, but we kind of just, again, like the whole, like I don't work out with anyone else, so I get to just sort of feel out how long I need to recover before the next workout. So, so nice. But once every 10 to 14 days. And fast, it would usually the long runs are between 32K and 40K, and the pace kind of slowly gets faster as the build goes on but usually done anywhere between maybe five seconds per kilometer slower than marathon pace to 20 25 seconds slower okay. per kilometer pace okay and the, the whole run would be at that pace the whole run yeah damn <laughs> that's intense yeah yeah i mean you might start off a little bit slower and finish a little bit faster but like there's really not any easy running in there yeah like give yourself a mile or so to actually like warm up and just get going yeah exactly wow okay so you're training alone does your does your coach live near you do you is someone out on the bike next to you or are you just going out and grinding um yeah my coach lives about 90 minutes oh that's kind of funny. um yeah. where i live in ottawa um so we we often meet at the track. It's kind of like halfway between. So a lot of my track workouts we'll meet and uh, do together. He'll, you know, time and stuff. Um, and then for the longer workouts, some like marathon pace and those fast long runs, my fiance usually is the one who grinds it out on the bike and does bottles and stuff so I can practice fueling. I mean, you have to bike pretty fast to keep up with that. Yeah, she. <laughs> there was a couple of times, a couple of those long runs where – she thought she was much more tired afterwards. <laughs> oh, props to any of the significant others out there who are repping that support team. 
Yeah, yeah, it's not easy, especially like a couple of them. It's kind of cold and a bit rainy. Like uh, that's just uh-huh. so miserable on the bike. Uh, how did you and your fiance meet? Uh, at university. Okay, cool. When are you getting married? Uh, next August. Okay, awesome. Wait, w- were you one of the few that was like gonna get married and then COVID hit, or and you had to delay, or was that always the plan? No, we just got engaged this summer and then planned for next year. Okay, well, congratulations. Thank you. Okay, so now we've caught everybody up to like life leading up to the race, what training looked like for the race. Let's talk about the race. Um, was it weird being in the like bubble that they had you all be in? And I heard about the beepers that you had to wear so you didn't get six feet, you know, within distance of anybody. Share with us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was definitely weird. Yeah, like we get off the plane and someone meets us there. They take us to the hotel and, you know, we're in like in the bubble. Um, yeah, and you have this little bump technology thing you wear around your neck. And if you get within two meters, it beeps. And if you get within like 1.2 meters, it just starts going crazy, like trying to get you to back off. Um, I think it was a good, almost a good thing because it really forced you to do almost absolutely nothing mm. for the entire race week. Because we were told to come in on Monday, races on Sunday, you know, you're supposed to keep your distance from everybody. So like you kind of just go out and run, you know, go get your meals. And then between that you're kind of just in your hotel room. So it really forced you to just relax and almost do nothing all week. So in a way it was kind of beneficial. Um, like I would say it was the least stressful race week I've ever had. Hey friends, a quick break to thank Lily Trotters for supporting this episode of the podcast. These are the best compression socks out there. I've been wearing them for four years now. And they're not only do they work really well, they're functional, but they're super cute too. I have the tall socks as well as their crew socks. Their crew socks are relatively new and they're super comfortable and super cute. This is a woman-owned company and I'm so proud of the progress and the work that they've done over these past four years since we first started working together. And I'm honored to have them as a sponsor of this podcast. You all can save a whopping 25%. There are not very many sponsors who give the big 25. Um, You can save that, though, on their products when you go to lilytrotters.com and use the code ANOTHER. This is a great gift idea, too, for the favorite runner friend in your life. Simple, easy, fun, cute, all the things. Uh, Yeah, so check them out, lilytrotters.com. Use the code ANOTHER. Links to that will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. Here's my one more plea for the day to leave us a rating and review. I read every single one of them, even the not-so-nice ones, and the happy ones make my day. And if you listen to this show every week, this is seriously such a simple way to support the work we're doing here. So, uh, yeah, thank you all so very much who have already done so. Uh, all right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Tristan. Race day, weather was pretty cold, but you're from Canada, so you probably didn't... You probably... Did you like the weather? Um, No. I mean, <laughs> when you race a marathon and you put so much work into it, you really... Like, it's nice to have the best conditions possible so uh-huh. you can run as fast as possible. Um, but, I mean, I think definitely being from Canada or, you know... it. 
we have such crazy extreme weather, either really hot, really cold, rain, snow, whatever. So conditions didn't bother me too much, I found. Um, I mean, they definitely slowed you down, but it didn't like get to my head too much. Yeah. You know, I always say, I think it was it. Yeah, it was the 2018 Boston Marathon, right? That was the torrential downpour. And Krista Duchesne from Canada placed third. And I always say, like, I guarantee that Canadian like toughness, that wet weather toughness that she's trained for throughout had to have been like a massive help for her in that race. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think it definitely makes a big difference because you just you've, you've dealt with every kind of condition. Yeah. Um, and having like even been in Kenya, I can see why sometimes they struggle with those conditions because like it's almost perfect weather all year round. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like 10 to 12 in the morning and then 20 to 25 in the afternoon, you know, and sometimes it rains like that, you know, almost like ideal running weather all year round. So it, you wouldn't really be exposed to that like zero degrees. Yeah. It's torrential downpour. Like it's just, yeah, it's just a different sort of bone chilling. Yeah type of weather. Okay. So in the race, did you have a pack to run with at all? I know you placed 14th. Did, were you solo at all? And tell us about those loops that you had to do 20 of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had a pretty big pack to start and then it kind of slowly dwindled. Uh, But Mo Fair was nice enough to take us to, I want to say between 30 and 32 K. Oh, I didn't know he was pacing. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There was three of them and one of them was Mo, and he took us the farthest yet. Like, to get to 30, 32K with a pacer is pretty awesome. Yeah, that's far. Uh, yeah, that's, like, almost unheard of. So that was great. Like, that was, like hats off to him for coming out and doing that for our, uh, our group. But, yeah, we had a group for, I want to say, until, like, maybe about three or four laps ago. It kind of broke up, and then I spent some time with, like, maybe one guy kind of on my own for that last bit and then the last lap I don't yeah I don't remember I was like starting to kind of black out <laughs> a little bit like the vision was going weird and so I don't have any memories of the last lap but um yeah I didn't find the loops too bad like we had done most of the long runs on a 1.8k loop around where I live smart so we got used to that just you know round round and round and round and stuff so it didn't I didn't notice the loops any and plus when you get into a race situation you kind of really just zone everything out so it doesn't feel quite as weird I guess doing the loops and it almost made it easier sometimes because like towards the end you're like all right I only got three loops left Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which sounds much better than I have like 7k yeah like 7k sounds horrible but just saying you have three loops somehow mentally made it easier so I kind of tried to focus more on the amount of loops than the amount of k left so when you get on your last loop you said you were kind of like zoning out like your vision was kind of like you were struggling whatever vision was going blurry did you say vision was going blurry yeah it was going like blurry and sometimes like almost like going black like it was, i've never experienced that before i've heard other people talk about it kind of happening but that was the first time it happened to me you really went you really went to the place whatever that place is you were there <laughs> yes definitely um so when you fi- entered that lap did you know like okay i'm getting the standard because you you had you know since it's two eleven thirty, what was your official time? Two ten. Fifty one, I think. Fifty one. So you had thirty four sec, thirty five seconds to give or take. Um, 
which with one mile to go when you're running that fast is pretty good, you know, wiggle room. Did you know you had it locked in as long as you didn't go to like a 550 mile or six minute mile or whatever? I didn't really. Like, I think if I, like, when you get to like 40K in a marathon, you really can't do math. Yeah. And think that well. So I think, like, in hindsight, yeah, I shouldn't have been worried. But even going into that last lap, I was still like, felt unsure because the wheels were coming off for yeah. sure and I knew it was slowing down. So I just, I didn't let myself think I had it in the bag. It was like, I have to really like give it everything or I'm not going to get standard. So I, yeah, like just went like as hard as I could in that last lap. And it wasn't until we turned that last corner in front of Buckingham palace with like a hundred to go that I saw two ten thirty, And I was like, all right, yes. <laughs> if I don't collapse now, like we've got the standard. So yeah, it really wasn't until hundred meters to go where I knew I was going to be fine. Okay. Yeah. I, so I, I rewatched the video of Sarah Hall finishing like 9,000 times. And I know where you're talking about. You're kind of coming around and then you see that finish there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that had to feel like such a beautiful moment, even though you were in so much pain, just knowing that it was there. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, yeah, it was a good moment. I think, you know, again, like looking back at like 2018, kind of giving up a lot of things mm-hmm. for, you know, the small chance and that small hope of trying to make, you know, that Olympic standard then to finally like have that moment felt like such a huge relief. Yeah. Okay, so what? who are you up against? What are you up against as far as being selected? Because I know that um, the process for ma- uh, making like being on the Olympic team in Canada is way different than here in the United States. So um, do you have a bunch of guys that have hit the standard? What does that look like? Uh, right now, um, Trevor Hoffbauer, who won Toronto there in the fall, he has an automatic spot for okay. being at our trials and having standard. So there's two spots left. Um, right now, I'm the only one with standard, um, but obviously there's you know a few a few other guys in Canada right now who are more than capable. So basically, sometime next spring they'll select the team. Um, and I, from what I've understood, if there's just the two of us, like they'll select a full team of three people if you have standard. Um, and then if there's like more if there's four of us or five of us or whatever, it's kind of subjective and they can decide who they're going to um, place on the team. Okay, so it's looking good then that you'll be selected. Being yeah, so far it's looking good, but yeah, yeah, like never know. It'll be a bit of a waiting game now. Yeah, you don't know what anybody's going to race, but um, if they're selecting in the spring, there can't be too many more opportunities to race a marathon. No, that's... That's true. Like from what I've heard, there's Valencia seems like they're going ahead and there's that new, I think they called it the marathon project. Yes. So like, those are the only two I'm aware of, but I, yeah, I'm not sure like worldwide what's all going on, but yeah, I mean, they're few and far in between, so it definitely won't be easy for people. I mean, are you keeping tabs? Do you know if any of those guys are going to run the marathon? They sent out a press release with all the names. Yeah. I think I heard, uh, Rory Linkletter, um, oh, he, yeah, he's, he's I think he's racing in the Arizona one. So that'll be one. And, um, yeah, I guess we'll see, um, who else. Yeah. That will be his second marathon, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, cool. That's exciting. It's 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 got to be a weird feeling to be like, yes, I did it, but I still have to wait. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's yeah. It's a huge relief, but yeah, it's still not quite the. I don't know. Not time to full fully celebrate yet. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, just getting the standard even is kind of yeah. It just feels like a huge relief. So really happy about that. Yeah, it's looking good. It's looking good. I know. It's like in the United States, like, well, you play top three, you play top three. It's totally different. That race you celebrate that day. Yeah, no, that is true. It is, yeah, it's an interesting way to way to do it. I mean, it would be nice for any, yeah, you come top three, you're like, it's a great day. Yeah. And if you don't, yeah, it's a pretty crappy day. <laughs> okay, lastly, I just want to hear a little bit about the changes that you made as far as making sure that you stay injury free and um, really paying attention to your form and your mindset. What are some key things that you did that were you think were helpful in this training cycle? Yeah, I would say the most important thing I've kind of done over the last couple of years has been working on strength and mobility. Like when I started working with like my coach now, like the first thing, the first workout he saw me do, he was like, you're running like crap. Mm. You know, he was like, when I used to coach you in high school, like you were so smooth. Like I used to kind of tell people to try and run like you. Like, so that kind of, and he, he thought it was overstriding and he kind of took some video and it was pretty clear. It was definitely overstriding. Mm-hmm. And then, so he was like, Oh, we need to sort of quicken your cadence. Um, so we did a bit of that. And then I kind of took, it deeper and got more of an interest in it and I started looking at like the biomechanics the mobility and the strength part of it and started to learn like you maybe can't just think about like turning over faster like there's a reason why your body's not doing it naturally Mm. and you have to fix that if you want to like make it a permanent change Mm -hmm. so then you know I started reading and like for overstriding you know a big thing is tight hip flexors and weak glutes you know so your body can't get that extension and if it can't get that extension it just overstrides to compensate so anyways yeah that kind of that's where I started was the overstriding and then from there it was like research reading books articles like anything I could find on how strength and mobility interplays with your biomechanics and how it can help you make help make you more efficient so that and I think that has been the most important thing because if you're moving well and you run well and efficiently and your body you're using your body how it's meant to be used Mm. you can really help avoid injuries because I think that's the biggest killer of performance is constantly having to take time off and I haven't had to take more than a day or two off in the past like two and a half years wow um and that I think that like as much as you can say like oh the training is important like part of me is like it's more important to be healthy Mm -hmm. you know because then it just compounds you know the more the more workouts you can string together, the more mileage, it all just compounds because anyone can write, you know, a brutally hard marathon program with, you know, 200 plus K weeks and these crazy workouts, but it doesn't really matter if you can't execute them and execute it consistently. So yeah, it's really like every day we, I do like a, a, almost an equivalent amount of strength and mobility and activation work that I do running. Yeah. So I'm thinking, is it, I feel like it would be really hard to change your stride and with, I mean, are you, do you still think about it on the regular as you run or have, has it become like robotic enough that 
you're not thinking about it anymore. And how long did you have to reprogram that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, like, I think one of the misconceptions in kind of this area, and I see some people often question me on this, and they're like, well, you know, if you try and change your running form, you actually end up running less efficiently. And they'll point to studies, mm-hmm. you know, that have shown this. And they are right in the sense that you can't, like I believe anyways, you can't think your way into running better. Mm. Like if you try and cue it or think about it, then you're right. Your body will run less efficiently because I do believe your body finds the most efficient way for you to run Get like based on what you're giving it. So if you give it like a crap body, it'll give you crap form. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you take the time to improve them, like, your mobility and your strength and stuff, and you give it a better body, it'll give you better running form. So I kind of learned you can never really think about your stride. You always just have to relax Mm. and let your body find its most natural form. But you have to do all this strength and mobility work so it has the best body possible so it can run as efficiently as possible. And then in that sense, like changing form, I would say took probably six or seven months. Mm before I started noticing like fairly big, like fairly big changes, positive changes, like, you know, where my, I was, like cadence was better posture and all that kind of thing. So it's a really long process for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Someone has time for like three mobility exercises. What, which are the most important that you think us everyday runners should make sure we're incorporating? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. That's really, that's tough. I would I would sort of lean towards, I think because a lot of people have this problem nowadays, which is like the desk posture, student syndrome, whatever you want to call it, which is like tight hip flexors and weak glutes. So I would say like three most important things you can do for running is making sure you have good mobility in your hips so you can Mm -hmm. get extension Mm -hmm. and then really strong glutes because that's what helps kind of push or pull back your leg into extension and like really like your glutes are the main driver of propelling yourself forward and then posture like making sure your chest um, is open and your back is strong so you can run upright and have a nice good arm carriage what are your favorite glute exercises I have a couple good ones pre that I like to do pre-run um and they involve like one of those I call them like super bands like those really Mm -hmm. thick sort of bigger bands and you can anchor it to you anchor it to something and then put it around your waist and then you how do you kind of describe (laughs) describe this and then you kind of almost like stride forward focusing on like the glute activating and then you put your opposite leg up on a chair okay if that makes sense like it's hard to Describe but you're kind of standing in a bit of a split stance. Okay. And then your foot that's uh, on the, like the front leg is stays there. And then you kind of drive forward um, from the glute. And then you bring your other, the back leg up onto a chair. And that's a good way of sort of cueing mm. in a very running specific way, that glute firing. Um, and also you're bringing that glute into extension which is really important because like glute bridges and stuff are good, mm-hmm. but you never get past like 90 degrees, okay. but in running you do. So it's a good way to get 
that glute activation and hip extension in one exercise. And then like a, if you want to really build really strong, like just pure glute strength, like nothing is better than barbell hip thrust. Um, we're going to need a video <laughs> on, that, right. on that description for the first one. Um, that's a really good point about glute bridges because I do think that a lot of people probably do glute bridges and call it a day. Um, but that's a really good point that you're not getting that extension. And I found one of the most common injuries or not even injuries sometimes just like niggles, like nagging persistent things is that that weak hamstring, like having that hamstring kind of pull from your butt because you're weak. Yeah, that's true. That was, that was my big injury in 2015 in my first marathon. I, I don't know if I tore it or tweaked it, whatever it, but yeah, it was hamstring and then it, that plagued me for years and it still does sometimes if I don't stay on top of it it'll start acting up but yeah hamstrings like are huge like hamstrings and glutes from what I've learned are the main drivers yeah of your speed and if they're weak they're you're just not going to run fast get that butt strong everybody (laughs) (laughs) all right Tristan well let's wrap up here with end of podcast congratulations though on uh the standard and your success I hope that you're celebrating all week Yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, trying trying as best as we can under quarantine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. Um, okay, what's something professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you have not done yet? I, I'll take it away. Like, I mean, I guess I could list off a bunch of running related things that you know most elite runners would want to do. But I'll take it away from running and say, start a coffee roasting business. Nice. I have like bought myself a little like tiny like quarter pound roaster. Uh, a couple of years ago and like I don't know kind of got a little bit into the world of coffee and green coffee beans and like it's kind of I don't know I've kind of really enjoyed trying all these like different coffee beans that you don't usually find anywhere else because they're kind of got a bit of a funkier taste mm-hmm. um, but I don't know I've kind of really enjoyed that so I think it would be kind of fun on like a personal and professional level to like get like really hardcore into it. Where do you source your beans? Where do you get them? I was getting them from a place in Toronto and then they like, they source from all over the world and then bring them into Canada and then you can buy them. Uh, what is an accomplishment you're most proud of? I guess probably London this past weekend. <laughs> Rightfully so. That's, that's what I was yeah. thinking you might say. What is the best, most recent book you've read? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I read a good series this summer. Uh, it was the Broken Earth Trilogy. Okay. And I'm trying to remember the author's name, but it's one of those like kind of dystopian future um, novel series. I don't know. I weirdly really enjoy that genre of the world's gone to crap <laughs> from our own doing kind of thing. So uh-huh. yeah, that was a really good one I read this summer. Okay, Nice. Uh, who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you would like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail, or beer, or whatever with? I I would say Dick Beardsley. I read his book like a number of years ago, and I always found his story just so fascinating. And then he came and um, spoke the night before our uh, university cross country championships in Guelph in 2015, I believe he was like a speaker the night before. And then hearing him speak, it was like, 
it was unbelievable how positive he was because he's had some really tough times in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, yeah, like just, I mean, he's run crazy fast and he was just, yeah, very inspiring. So I would, yeah, definitely be interested to, uh, have a coffee with him. Interesting. I just looked him up and I'm cruising his Wikipedia page now. Um, <laughs> maybe I should have him on the podcast. Sounds like an interesting guy. <laughs> maybe. So, yeah. Very, very interesting guy. Uh, okay. Well, what is your one message to send to the world? Um, I would, I would say to follow, you know, your dreams and try and do something you love Mm. and just do it to the best of your ability. You know, like it was one of the best decisions I ever made to just go all in on running, even though it probably didn't make a whole lot of sense, you know, to an outsider's perspective. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, if even if I hadn't been able to run standard and, you know, it didn't quite go the way I wanted, like I have to say, just, yeah, doing something you love and trying to be as good as possible at it has been extremely rewarding. I love that. I love the pursue what you love, but also work really hard at it. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, there's just something about just going all in that I love. Like it just, I don't know. I don't know. How's that starts that fire within, I guess. It's good. All right, Tristan. Well, thanks for being here today. No, thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much for being here today, friends. Thanks, Tristan, for sharing your story. By the way, Tristan has the video from that glute exercise he talked about up on his Instagram. So make sure you go check that out. I will link it in the show notes, lindsayhine.com. Check out our sponsors, friends, Prevenex, Prevenex.com, code another to get 15% off. And then Lily Trotters, lilytrotters.com and use the code another for 25% off. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you so much. And quick plug for the other shows in the Sandy Boy Productions Network, Up and Running with Lauren and Abby, the Illuminate podcast, and the new parenting podcast, Why? everyone yelling. All right, everybody have a great rest of your weekend and we'll see you next Friday.